What's up, folks? Welcome once again to the RBW Fake Radio Show. This is Glenn. I decided to use an acronym for the show's title this week because there are less words for me to stumble over. And by explaining the reason for using the acronym just now, I've said more words than if I had just stuck with the full title. But I've yet to stumble, so I'm marking it down as a victory. Okay, enough of me talking in circles. I'm coming to you, well, I was going to say live, but this is pre-recorded, so I guess I'm coming to you pre-recorded from my office, which is also my living room, guest room, music room, meditation room, and the room I cry in most often. This multi-purpose, tear-stained room is located in a comically small apartment in a university town. A university town which has suddenly become inundated with students again after two years of the virus restricting campus activity. It's great to see the students back, by the way. It brings an energy to the town which has been sorely lacking. I can't say I envy the reason they're here, though. The idea of school gives me the cold sweats. I've never been comfortable in an academic setting. I'm not entirely sure why, but I think it has something to do with being intimidated in environments where I don't excel. I'm also uncomfortable in hardware stores because I can't build anything for shit. In fact, I have a recurring nightmare of wandering around Home Depot being ridiculed by superior men and women in bright orange aprons for my lack of technical and mechanical ability. What do you mean you don't know what an Allen wrench is, you morsel of a man? Anyway, I could produce a long list of places where I feel out of place or uncomfortable. Classic car shows, comic book conventions, antique markets, fancy restaurants, fancy anything really, the gym, most parties. I could go on, but I won't. I'm not completely awkward and weird though. There are places where I'm in my element as well. Like at a dive bar sipping a double rye and Diet Coke. Or driving a car in the opposite direction of my insecurities. They're surprisingly hard to get away from though. I also feel weirdly at peace in hotel swimming pools and while sipping coffee and listening to elderly folks regale me with stories from years past. Speaking of years past... Today's story is set in the 1980s and 90s, and it deals with the daycare my mom operated for most of my childhood and teenage years. It's one of the first stories I wrote for this project, however I shelved it because I wasn't happy with the ending. I'm still not, to be honest, but I feel like it's decent enough to post. I find it hard to wrap up a piece in a satisfying way. I try to tie up the loose ends, but sometimes it feels incomplete. Oh well. Hopefully it reads okay. To conclude, I want to say a quick hello to Andrew and Tiffany who are still on their bikes somewhere in Northern California. Hope all is well, guys. I won't promise anything, but I think Andrew is going to provide another update so you can look forward to that at some point as well. And that's all the harassment from me. To borrow a tagline from the Monkey Tooth podcast, I hope you're doing fun and interesting things, and we will hopefully talk to you in the near future. Take care, everybody. The play structure, my friend, is blowing in the wind. With the exception of a few years at a pharmaceutical factory, my mother ran a daycare out of our home for her entire working life. From the time I could walk, there were always other kids around drooling, screaming, and sticking their fingers into light sockets, 
On one hand, I was never lonely, with plenty of companions to choose from. But on the other, having kids around all the time messing with my home and my stuff could be irritating, to put it mildly. There were days when I just wanted to come home from school, grab a snack, and watch TV without the soundtrack of my hyperactive peers filling the air. This was the 80s and 90s, when children's lives were not as valued or as carefully protected as they are today. Caution was thrown to the wind, and rules and regulations were something folks in the IRS or military concerned themselves with, not daycare proprietors. For example, we had one bathroom in our house, and in the summertime when school was out, there could be as many as 15 children under mum's care, not including myself or my siblings. Illegal, certainly, but also unsanitary and likely detrimental to the children's health. On top of this, my mom did not have any of the certifications or courses that childcare workers need today. She probably thought that the Heimlich Maneuver was some sort of German sex act, and probably only knew CPR as the Canadian Pacific Railway. Am I outing my mom here? Look, it was a different time. To be fair, my mom did have some rules, but not the ones you'd think. For example, if a kid was being noisy during the young and the restless, they would find themselves outside indefinitely, and no, that rule didn't change in the middle of a Canadian winter. Additionally, if a kid objected to a fourth day in a row of Chef Boyardee and hot dogs, they would learn what a week without lunch tasted like. Now, I don't want to paint too grim of a picture here. My mum had it in her to be an exceptionally caring person who really did love children, but I also don't want to discount her natural flair for tyranny. Despite the lack of rules, or maybe because of them, the kids' mum babysat and I had a lot of fun over the years. One of our favorite games was something we called Dinky Car Wars. We would each pick a piece of furniture to use as a protective shield, and at the count of three, rise up and throw Hot Wheels at each other's heads. There was some blood and a lot of tears, but most importantly, we made lasting memories. We also caught frogs together played baseball and hockey, hunted squirrels and other small prey with wooden spears, and spent countless hours in the rec room, wrestling, playing board games, and generally just annoying each other. We were extremely proficient at that last one. Fortunately for her, Mum didn't have to shoulder the babysitting burden all alone. My dad was a factory employee and worked long hours, but he would still support Mum with whatever she needed for her childcare business. This included, but was not limited to, keeping the cupboards full of food, maintaining the house and property, and ensuring there were no hazards or pitfalls around in an attempt to ward off potential litigation. Also, when the mood struck, Dad would take it upon himself to do something a little extra. He'd bring home a couple dozen donuts, or he'd give some of the older children rides on his antique tractor. One summer, on a week's vacation from work, and presumably feeling extra generous, Dad decided that he'd buy some lumber and build a play structure for the kids. For some context, my dad could be described as a lot of things. Pack-a-day smoker, political junkie, amateur historian, baseball savant, loyal Levi's customer, and purchaser of generic food brands, but no one ever accused him of being a proficient builder. That being said, my father never let a lack of knowledge or skill stand in the way of something he wanted to accomplish. 
There was the time he attempted to build me a batting cage out of scrap wood and chicken wire. I was shocked at how quickly he erected it. I remember standing in our kitchen with him, looking out the patio door at the monstrosity. You'll be hitting 300 in no time now that you have that beautiful piece of work to practice in, he said proudly. The next morning, I wandered sleepily into the kitchen to fix myself some cereal. One quick glance out the patio door told me all I needed to know about my dad's handiwork. The batting cage was flattened, along with my hopes of a batting title. Light to moderate winds had brought it down while we slept, blissfully unaware. But I digress. Back to the play structure, and by now, you don't have to be Edgar Casey to know what's coming. It wasn't an elaborate build by any stretch. Conversely, it was a prototypical design. A playhouse on top with a slide running down from it, and a frame with two swings attached off to the side. After completing the structure in his distinctively rushed style, Dad was pleased to receive a positive response from all involved. My mum and the parents of the children she babysat were thrilled to see the kids enjoying a new activity. It was a resounding success, and it continued to be for several weeks. Sadly, however, nothing lasts forever, and that goes double for anything my dad ever built. The first sign of calamity was subtle. If both swings were in use and the occupants were going at a good clip, one of the structural pillars would lift out of the ground and then fall back into place as the swings leveled out. It got predictably worse from there. It reached a point where if there were three or more children on the structure at once, it would sway back and forth considerably. Add a windy day to the equation, and well, you can guess what might happen. There was a cold front coming in on the penultimate day that the structure stood. It was late spring, and the bus had just dropped a load of us kids off from school in my parents' driveway. We all had our routines. Some went to the sandbox, some started kicking around a soccer ball, and some went for the play structure. As the late afternoon rolled along, clouds started to form and the wind picked up as two little girls were taking turns on the play structure's slide. One of the girls had just reached the top of the structure to take another turn when a particularly violent gust of sustained wind came in and began shaking the structure from pillar to post. At the same time, one of the girl's fathers pulled into the driveway to pick her up and take her home for the day. The father happened to be a volunteer firefighter, and when he saw the structure swaying in the wind, he rushed to the scene with a look of horror in his eyes. His daughter, oblivious to the danger she was in, and ostensibly quite enjoying the unexpected oscillating motion, held on tight with one hand while laughing and waving at her dad with the other. He arrived at the base of the structure, scampered up the steps to the playhouse, and pulled her down to safety before the worst-case scenario could occur. The potential crisis had been averted. The father put his little girl in the car and stomped inside to tear a strip off my father. After getting reamed out, Dad began to rip down the structurally unsound play equipment later that evening and finished the job the next day. As Merle Haggard once sang, Mama tried. She did, and my father did too. They both put a lot of effort into providing a safe and fun environment for the kids, even if the end result didn't always reflect that. It's not an easy task managing the chaos that multiple children 
high on overly processed foods bring to an ill-equipped environment. After more than 30 years of helping to raise other people's kids, Mum stopped adding Chef Boyardee to the grocery list and with some sense of relief, I'm sure, left the babysitting profession behind for good. As for myself, I finally got a break from a house full of kids when Mum retired, but it came only a year or two before I moved out. Still, I wouldn't have traded those years of bedlam for a perpetually silent house, and even now, I'd gladly take the racket kids can make over listening to an uninterrupted Victor Newman temper tantrum, even if Mum may disagree. enjoyed that story, we'd appreciate if you could tell your friends, family, or even a few strangers about the show. Additionally, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. If you have a short story you'd like us to tell, or even some music you'd like to share, you can reach out via the website, raisedbywhoops.com. We're glad to have you with us. Until next time, thanks, and take care.